Amen. Amen. All right. So we are in the fourth, the fourth Sunday, the fourth sermon in this series called Meeting Jesus at the Feasts. And uh, my hope is that through this series, you will find that the Old Testament is fascinating and that it is rich in theology that really prepares the ground. It builds the foundation to what we read of in the New Testament. And, and so that's what this is all about, the why we're doing this series, so that it gives us an understanding of what it is we're reading. Sometimes we read the New Testament, and it's like, why did Jesus say those things? Why did Paul write these things? What does that mean? Well, it, it helps to understand the Old Testament, the context, the, the feasts, and all the different things that are happening in order to understand what's being said in the New Testament. And this series reminds us that Jesus, the Son of the living God, the one whom we worship, the one who we sing about every Sunday, it, this series reminds us that he came as a Jewish man who regarded Jewish customs and lived among the Jewish people. And so understanding the Jewishness of Jesus will not only deepen our understanding of who Jesus is, but it will also give us a whole new lens by which we can interpret and understand the New Testament. For instance, we, when we have a deeper, in, uh, deeper understanding of the Jewish customs, Sabbath, or, uh, Passover, and so on, and when we come to communion, we get a deeper, richer understanding of what it is we're doing, of why Jesus you know, broke the bread. And, and, and we realize that, oh, that bread that he broke was the matzah, the unleavened bread that was without yeast, representing that it had no sin. That bread that was, you know, that has holes in it that represents the piercing of his hands. You know, when he broke that, he meant his body. Oh, and this is what the Jewish people have been observing for generations. That when he took the cup and said, this is the new covenant in my blood, that Jesus took the third cup of the four cups in the Passover celebration in the Passover meal. There's four cups. Wayne talked about this in the first sermon in this series, that there are four cups uh, in the Passover meal. The third cup being the cup of redemption. It's talking about how God redeemed Israel out of Egypt. Jesus took that cup and said, there's a new covenant. There's a new redemption. That's in my blood. And so it gives us a, a really richer understanding of what we read in the New Testament and what we do when we come to communion, it gives us a richer understanding. And so to do a bit of a recap of where we've been and where, we're, where we are today, uh, let's just start by once again talking about the feasts as a whole. The feasts, <clears throat> if you recall, uh, were set times, set appointed times on the Jewish calendar that God, he made it so that the, the Jewish people would observe these feasts at a set time every year, for the purpose of remembering what God has done. Now here's an outline of the biblical feasts once again. There are seven feasts, two seasons, the spring feasts and the fall feasts. Uh, The spring feasts go, they they, they just go back to back to back. They happen in in succession. You know, Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, and then Pentecost. And, And it represents Jesus when he came the first time. The fall feast, which we'll be, we will be getting into <clears throat> next after today's sermon, uh, talks about Jesus when he comes again, the second coming. And so 
There are seven biblical feasts. You can find them all outlined in Leviticus 23. All of them are outlined there. Uh, And in fact, Leviticus 23 starts off by saying this. This is how it starts. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. A couple weeks ago, I talked about this passage, and we, and we looked at two words. And I looked at, we looked at the Hebrew words. Okay, The first one was for the Hebrew word, uh, the word for appointed feast, which is the word moed. The Hebrew word moed can also be translated set holiday. So it's like Christmas. It's on a set day every year. It's a set time, right? That's what appointed feasts means. The Hebrew word for convocations is the word mikra, which can be translated to mean rehearsal. And so the Jewish feasts were set holidays. The people, they observe them every year, the same time every year. And uh, <clears throat> they were like rehearsals for the purpose of being rehearsals. The Jewish people have been observing them. They taught their kids how to do this for thousands of years, which these rehearsals ultimately found their fulfillment. The grand finale, so to speak, happened at the coming of Jesus Christ. And so we talked about Passover, how it's fulfilled when Jesus came. Well, Passover, that celebration, you know, they took a lamb, they sacrificed the lamb. Jesus was called the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The next sermon was on the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And we talked about how the unleavened bread was like the body of Christ, his physical body. And we looked at the matzah bread, that flat bread, if you remember. It had holes in it, it had burn marks in it, and how, you know, the Jewish people still, to this day, they eat matzah on Passover and for, for the week of unleavened bread. That's what they eat. It's like a big cracker with holes in it. And it represents the body of Jesus. It has holes representing Jesus' body being pierced for our iniquities. And and, and it had no yeast in it. It was flat because yeast represents sin. Just like Jesus had no sin. And and the burn marks, it's interesting, the Jewish people, they call it the bruising of the matzah. Well, that represents the bruising. He was bruised for our iniquities. Like he was, it, it represents the bruising of the body of Jesus prior to crucifixion. And so, unleavened bread finds its fulfillment in the burial of Jesus, the body of Jesus. Last week, Eric shared an incredibly eye-opening sermon on the Feast of First Fruits. If you didn't get a chance to listen to that, I want to encourage you to you know, take, take a listen on the uh, Trinity podcast. Uh, but I'll be going over some of what was taught last week because First Fruits, the Feast of First Fruits, ties into today's sermon, which is on the Feast of Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks. Now, you might be looking at that picture and thinking, why is the bread puffed up like it has leaven in it? What about unleavened bread, James? Did he miss it? No, I will get to that for sure. You'll find out soon enough. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Leviticus 23. I'm going to be reading verses 15 to 16. 
Leviticus 23, 15 to 16. Uh, It will be on the screen as well for you. So this is what it says. You shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. Wow, there's already a lot of math going on right there. (laughs) A lot of numbers. We'll get to that for sure. You shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread to be waved, made of two-tenths of an ephah. They shall be of fine flour, and they shall be baked, get this, with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. And there you see, there it is. Bread, two loaves that were to be baked with leaven. But let's hold that thought for a moment, okay? I will get to that. I'm going to start by going back to the Feast of First Fruits, just the recap of Eric's sermon last week. And that's going to help us make sense of what we just read in uh, the first part of this passage, okay? Now, the Feast of First Fruits is the third feast to be instituted by the Lord. It happens a day after the Sabbath following Passover. Now, First Fruits is all about giving a portion of of the first harvest of grain to the Lord into the temple storehouse. Now, the biblical world, the world of the Bible, was an agrarian society. I mean, it was all about farming, all about harvest. And so this was a very big deal, a very big teaching for the people in the New Testament, in the, in the biblical world. Okay? Today, the Jewish people, they don't keep the Feast of First Fruits the way they did in ancient times because, well, one, there's no temple. You can't bring the grain to the storehouse. And another reason is because it's no longer an agrarian society. Uh, but the principles are still taught to give thanks to God for the land and for the produce, the harvest, all his provisions. Now, in Jewish law, in biblical times, it was the custom to give God the best of the portion of your harvest. The best. Not the, 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 the wheat or the barley that looked kind of, you know, not so great. The best of it had to be given. Exodus twenty three nineteen says this, The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. And this was done to acknowledge that God, you're, <clears throat> you're the one that gave the land. You're the one that gives us everything we need. You're the one that produces the harvest. It's done in acknowledgement of what God has done. In fact, it was against the law for the people to take any of the harvest and eat it before this offering was made. After the offering, the first fruits offering was made, then the people could glean from the harvest and, and, and enjoy the bounty of the harvest. Now, last week, Eric mentioned that the first fruits offering, the first thing that you brought, that portion, when you offered it, declared the whole harvest to be good. How many of you remember him saying that, right? The offering that was made, once you make it, it declares the whole harvest to be good. And that speaks of Jesus, the first fruits among the dead who, to rise 
and to declare that all who believe in his name are righteous. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus Christ is the first fruits offering, the sacrifice that was made on our behalf to declare us who believe in him as righteous, the righteousness of God. And so first fruits speaks to the resurrection of Christ. 1 Corinthians 15.20 says this, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. There's that word again, first fruits. Now, if we didn't have an understanding of the Old Testament, the feast of first fruits and the principles behind that, and we come to 1 Corinthians 15:20 and we read this, we're like, well, what does that mean? He's the first fruits? Like, we don't get a full picture of what that means until we understand the Old Testament. Do you see how that works? Isn't that cool? That's, that's how it works. And so, the word first fruits is in relation to Jesus and his resurrection. It takes us into the world of the Bible when we understand what's going on, why Paul used this language. Now, from an agricultural point of view, first fruits was the start of the grain harvest season. It was the start of the grain harvest season, which began one day after the Sabbath following Passover. Now, you might recall Eric mentioned last week that barley was the first grain to be harvested at the beginning of the season. And then at the end, it was wheat, right? And so the Feast of First Fruits, what it did was it began a countdown to the harvest season that started with the harvest of barley and then to the end, the harvest of wheat. It was like a countdown. It started a countdown. And uh, that is where the math people are needed because that season the harvesting season, was to be seven Sabbaths long. And another way to put it is seven weeks long. Okay, so again, the Feast of First Fruits began a harvesting season that lasted seven Sabbaths or seven weeks. Now let's convert that into days. Seven times seven is 49, plus one for one day following the Sabbath after Passover, 49 plus 1 is 50. 50. And that is where we, that takes us to this next feast, which is Pentecost. The word Pentecost in Greek means 50. And in Hebrew, the word for this feast is Shavuot. Shavuot, which means weeks. And so, Pentecost, or Shavuot, it's, it's the same thing. See, in the Bible, you'll see Feast of Weeks. In fact, in my Bible, Leviticus 23.15, the heading is the Feast of Weeks. But Pentecost is the same thing. They're, they're, they're the same feast. Pentecost is the Feast of Weeks. They're, they're the same thing. That's where we get the names from. Pentecost, meaning it is 50 days from Passover. Shavuot, or Feast of Weeks, meaning it's seven weeks from Passover. It's really talking about the same thing. So the Feast of Pentecost was the concluding feast that signaled an end to the harvest season. And it was at this time that 
bread was baked, and it's interesting to note there were two loaves of bread that were to be baked, with leaven this time, with leaven. Now, why does this bread need to be leavened? Fifty days earlier, the bread was to be made without leaven, but this time with leaven. Why? The Feast of Unleavened Bread, at that feast, the leaven or the yeast represented old yeast. It represented the old way of life. You see, the Israelites, they were in Egypt. They were in slavery. They were in bondage for generations. You would think that the Egyptian way of life would be so ingrained in them. It would be hardwired in them. That's what culture does. And so when God said, listen, you need to bake bread with no leaven in it, part of the reason why he did that was to, sit, to symbolize, you got to get rid of the old yeast. You got to get rid of the old ways. Egypt has to be removed from you. There's no longer worship of other gods. There's no longer, you know, living according to Egypt's ways. There's going to be a new way. And so there's this removing of old yeast the Egyptian way of life, and their gods and their ways. And so Pentecost, or Shavuot, represents the giving of the law on Mount Sinai and the institution of God's ways for the people of Israel. And so here's a picture of Moses coming down with the two. That's that's Charlton Heston. They should do a remake of that movie. It's such a great movie. Anyways, he comes down with two tablets, giving the Ten Commandments, And that's found in Exodus 34. Jewish tradition says that the Feast of Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks, same thing, commemorates this, when this happened, when Moses came down with the two tablets. And that, again, Jewish Jewish tradition says, this is when the nation of Israel was born. This is when Israel became God's people. When God said, these are my ways, You are now my people. This was the new leaven. This was the new yeast. And that's why they they baked two loaves of bread, to represent the two tablets. Now, the interesting thing about the story of Moses on Mount Sinai is the story of the golden calf in Exodus 32. How many of you know that story, the story of the golden calf? It's it's actually kind of a funny story. So Moses is on the mountain, okay? He's talking to God. And he's up there for a long time, very long time. The people are at the base of the mountain. They're waiting for Moses. Now they witnessed an incredible setting free of the people. I mean, they witnessed miracles. They witnessed God delivering them from Egypt. Unbelievable, right? They were set free from Egypt. They worshiped God. They sang songs to to, to God. And yet, Moses is on the mountain taking a long time, and they're like, what's taking this guy so long? And the people are like, you know what? He's taking too long. Aaron, come over here. We want you to build us a calf so that we can worship it. And you might think, well, why would they do that? The ways of Egypt were so ingrained in them you see why it was important for God to say, look, you've got to get rid of the yeast of Egypt. It's got to be removed because I've got my ways that I want to show you. It was so ingrained in them. You see, worship of 
cows and bulls and this kind of thing was a part of Egyptian worldview. It was a part of their religious way. And, and Egypt, were, or <coughs> Israel was reverting back to that in that moment at the base of Mount Sinai. They, they put all the gold together and they, they fashioned this golden calf. And Moses comes down finally and he sees this and he's irate. He's so upset. In fact, he is so upset that he takes the golden calf, throws it into fire, it becomes powder, he takes it, mixes it with water, and forces everyone to drink it. That's how mad he was. Wow. I was about to make a Jim Jones joke, but I don't think I'll do that. (laughs) Anyways, um, he then goes to Aaron, and this is where it's funny. He's like, Aaron, What's the deal, bro? This is my paraphrase, by the way. What happened here? And and Aaron's like, you know, Moses, I I don't know what happened. The gold went in the fire and out popped out this golden calf. (laughs) That's what it says. That's what Aaron says. The gold went in the fire and out came this this calf. Holy cow! (laughs) Get it? (laughs) I thought, you, I thought you would like that. <clears throat> but what happened next was a tragedy. It was a judgment from God. Moses told the Levites to put the sword uh, to those who caused this to happen. And this is what it says in Exodus 32:28. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell And so on that day at the base of Mount Sinai, the very first Pentecost, 3,000 people died. 3,000 people died. Now fast forward, we're in the New Testament. Let's read Acts chapter 2 verse 1. It says this, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And so the disciples of Jesus, they're all together On the day of Pentecost. This is an Old Testament feast that the people were celebrating. That's why it says on the day of Pentecost. The nation of Israel, the people of Israel, the Jewish people, were celebrating Pentecost, which is celebrating the birth of Israel. That's what was happening all around them when the disciples were gathered together in one place. Okay, They're commemorating the birth of Israel. And suddenly something happens. In verse 2, this is what it says. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. <clears throat> Excuse me. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And so Acts chapter 2 is talking about the birth of the church, which just so happens to happen 
when they commemorate the birth of Israel. Do you think that was by accident? God's timing is so precise. He's intentional with everything. The birth of the church happened on the very day that the Israelites commemorated the birth of Israel. Now, there are some other interesting parallels from the birth of Israel in in Exodus and the birth of the church in Acts. First of all, are the sounds that you read about. There were sounds, okay? In Acts chapter 2, it talks about a sound of a mighty rushing wind. It talks about how they saw tongues of fire and suddenly they could hear the sound of many different languages. That's what was happening. They were hearing the sound of many different languages. Now in Exodus 20, verse 18, it says this, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off. Now the interesting thing about this passage in Exodus is the Hebrew word thunder. The Hebrew word for thunder that is in the Bible is the word kolat. And that word, that that word in Hebrew, can also be translated to mean voices and languages. Voices and languages. And so in Jewish tradition, it is said that the voice of God spoke out at Mount Sinai and gave the law in many different languages so that the whole world would know God's laws. This is Jewish tradition. A rabbi by the name of Rabbi Yochanan said this in his interpretation of Exodus. When God's voice came forth at Mount Sinai, it divided itself into 70 human languages so that the whole world might understand it. All at Mount Sinai, young and old, women and children, infants, according to their ability to understand. Isn't that fascinating? Jewish tradition taught that when God gave the law on Mount Sinai, it was given and told in many different languages. The book of Acts describes that when God gave the Holy Spirit, that it was given, it was told in many different languages. And so the purpose of this was so that many people would be taught God's ways in their native languages. What a fascinating parallel. John 14, 26 says this, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So there is again a new yeast, a new leaven, a new teaching. A teaching that is given through the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Now Moses brought tablets of stone down from Mount Sinai in Exodus. But in the Old Testament, it also talks about a time that will come when New tablets will be made, but this time not on tablets of stone. In Jeremiah 31, verse 33, it says this, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel 
After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they, excuse me, and they shall be my people. I took Buckley's. It doesn't work. It does work. It tastes awful. It does work, but then it doesn't work. (coughs) Anyways. um, Interesting thing here. Acts, uh, Jeremiah, where am I? Jeremiah 31, 33. This is talking about a time when God's going to do now yet another new thing. You see, in Exodus, God did a new thing among Israel, right? He took them out of Egypt, told them to depart from their old ways. He gave them the law. In the Old Testament, it, it talks about how God's going to do something new again. He's going to write it on tablets, but not, this time not on tablets of stone, but write it in their hearts, talking about a time that's coming. Paul references this in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 3, that's, and he says this, And you show that you are a letter from us, from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And so now there's again another new teaching, a new thing that God is doing. And so the Feast of Pentecost, which was a Jewish feast, they've been observing it for many generations. It was like a rehearsal that they've been rehearsing that would find its ultimate fulfillment with the coming of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church. And do you want to know something really interesting? Check out what happens in the book of Acts in chapter 2 down the road, down, down a little bit. Peter is preaching this amazing sermon. I mean, talk about a transformed life. Peter, he denied Christ three times. And now he's standing up boldly declaring who Jesus is. And when he does this, there's a revival. I mean, people are getting saved. They're like, I want to be baptized. I mean, it was an amazing thing what was happening. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, it says this, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. The Bible doesn't say many souls were added that day. It could have said that. That's a lot of people. The Bible doesn't say a lot of people were saved that day. It was specific. 3,000 were added that day. On the first Pentecost, at the giving of the law of Moses, 3,000 people died. At the giving of the Holy Spirit, on the day of Pentecost in the New Testament, 3,000 people received new life. That is what Pentecost is all about. It's all about receiving new life, receiving the Holy Spirit, and becoming a whole new person. That is what Pentecost is all about, receiving the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is our teacher. We talked about this at the Hearing God seminar this past Wednesday, that the Holy Spirit is our guide, The Holy Spirit is our teacher. If you need to know God's direction for your life, we have access 
to God through the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. We can ask. We simply ask and pray that the Holy Spirit would show us. God promised to pour out His Spirit on all people. Not just the professional Christians. There's no such thing. We're all the same. That means you. That means me. All flesh. All people. God will pour out His Spirit. That's the new leaven. That's the new thing. That's what Pentecost was all about the whole time. The whole time the Jewish people have been celebrating Pentecost. This is what it was all about. The coming of the Holy Spirit. So that the Spirit of the living God would dwell on the inside of us. Writing what He wants us to do in our hearts. So that we would live according to His ways. Through the help of the Holy Spirit. Not by might. Not by power but by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. That is what Pentecost is all about. And so at this time, I want to invite you. Just let's posture ourselves at this time. You know, the actual day of Pentecost is actually, it's, it's two weeks from now. It's June 9th. But we're going we're gonna to do it early this year. Okay? To posture ourselves to receive the Holy Spirit. So let's just bow our heads. I want to just encourage you to bow your heads. Just be in the posture to receive. If you want to lift your hands out to the side, to, in front of you like this, just to be in a posture to receive from the Lord this morning. I believe God's going to impart something new. He's going to download something into your spirit today. So I just want to encourage you to posture yourself. Maybe you are here this morning and you're saying, you know, God, I want to know your ways. I need your guidance in my life. I keep falling. I keep messing up. I keep stumbling over the same problems. I need to know your ways. I need to know how I can get unstuck. Maybe that's you this morning. I believe the Lord's going to impart wisdom through his spirit this morning in your life. Maybe you are here this morning and there are some old habits and old ways, old ways of thinking that are creeping back into your spirit and that's not what God has for you. And, and you might be thinking, you know, I've, I've, just, I've just messed up too many times. It's too late for me to receive anything new from the Lord. That's a lie from the enemy. God wants to impart something new again in your life. It's never too late. He wants to do that in your life today. Maybe that's you this morning. I believe the Lord's going to impart something fresh into your spirit. Maybe there is something a chain, some sort of struggle that you've been bound with and you're like, God, I need you to take this from me. This is old yeast. This is old leaven. I want the new. I believe, I want to pray and ask that God would do that this morning in your life. And so let's just posture ourselves and I'm going to pray over us. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the giving of your Holy Spirit We thank you for sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sin so that we might become the righteousness of God so that we could be, through Christ, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. God, I ask that right now, in Jesus' name, that you would 
by your spirit, fall on your people this morning in a fresh way to remove the old leaven, to remove the old ways, to remove the old way of thinking that, God, we would no longer believe the lies that the enemy says about us, that we are unworthy, that I am a terrible person, that I am not smart, that there's no way I can live according to the way you want for me. I want to, I come against those lies in Jesus' name. And let your spirit begin to impart the mind of Christ right now in Jesus' name. And, And Father, we thank you. I pray for an impartation of your Holy Spirit, for the breaking of chains right now in Jesus' name. The breaking of bondage, the breaking of the things that hold us back. Old ways, old patterns, old habits are broken now in Jesus' name by your Holy Spirit. We receive that right now. And Lord, we just pray right now that you would download an impartation, a greater measure of your Spirit in our lives so that we can be who you've created us to be, so that we can do the things you've called us to do without anything holding us back. I pray for that to happen right now. Holy Spirit, come. Fall fresh on me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the peace that surpasses all understanding that guards our hearts and our minds in Christ. I pray that from this day forth we would no longer sway to the old way, the old thoughts, the old patterns, but that, Lord, you would guard our hearts and our minds in Christ. Christ before me, the world behind me. Lord, may we never turn back. So we thank you this morning for all that you're doing, all that you are imparting into our lives. We give you thanks. We give you praise. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 It's a new day. God's mercies are made new every morning. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Enjoy the rest of the long weekend.